on behalf of our uh, founding teacher, Samuel Soon, I'd like to welcome everybody here, and uh, of course on Reverend Sonha's behalf. Um, and because it's kind of unrelated to what I was going to talk about, I thought I would just uh, read something that uh, Sunan would like me to uh, read to the group. And uh, uh, Sunan recently turned 78 years old, uh, beginning of March. And uh, uh, a number of people, most uh, Dharma teachers and priests, have uh, sent him well wishes and what have you. Uh, we have in our Chicago temple, we have, by the way, a number of other temples, Chicago, New York, Ann Arbor, Mexico. Uh, and, uh, but uh, Samusunam is in New York and uh, received this from Machala, uh, who is a, a member of our Chicago temple. And he wanted me to read it to everybody. So, thank you very much for your birthday wishes. When I think of you, I always think of your father first, the humble pastor who touched me deeply when I learned his attending of his son's precepts, the precept-taking ceremony in a rundown Buddhist temple in Michigan. Afterwards, I greeted him again when Achala came to Toronto in Canada to install new bathrooms. This is our College Street uh, temple. I gave him old copies of Spring Wind magazines. He took them graciously and said that I'll keep them in our church library in Chicago. Thank you, Achella. Please convey my thanks to all who use the temple. Practice gratitude. Someone in New York City said, going to temple was very nice. Today is another crazy day. So today is going to be another crazy day with Sunam and all of us. Uh, and uh, anyway, I uh, sent him greetings as well. I'm 10 years exactly younger than him. And, uh, you know, Samu Sunam uh, founded this temple originally, and uh, he was actually starting, uh, for those who may not know it, from a basement apartment on Markham Street. Uh, they bought a, a, an old house on Gwynn Avenue and uh, then moved here. And uh, oddly enough, we, we sold it, uh, moved to a, a big place on College Street, 295 and 297, uh, and uh, two buildings actually, and um, sold them and came back here. So, you know, we were sort of our second uh, incarnation at this <laughs> site. <laughs> And uh, anyway, I was going to talk about, uh, I don't know, kind of uh, some, a mosaic of ideas and uh, kind of like what you're sitting on, things put together, maybe not uh, that well put to, uh, you know, like uh, uh, united, but anyway, uh, one thing I've noticed, I do this all the time, is... Um, I, um, I drive, because I live in the East End, uh, I drive usually up Rosedale Valley Road. And uh, for those who may not know it, it's a, uh, a very, if you want to get into the country in Toronto quickly, go down Rosedale Valley Road. 
because parts of it are, are, are pretty, you know, you feel like you're in Algonquin Park, you know, the trees have fallen down, you don't see buildings, it's pretty wild in areas. And it's pretty close. And I've often been fascinated by the fact that when you, you drive uh, down Rosedale Valley, uh, pretty much between Young and Bayview Extension, which is quite a distance. Uh, well, up until uh, a little while ago, there was only a stop sign, one stop sign at Park Road. Now, it's heavily traveled because a lot of people use it as a shortcut, either coming or going downtown. So you, you drive down, say, for example, if you're going east, down the road, you hit the, the stop sign. But there are hundreds of cars that are coming kind of east, west, north, and south at this one intersection. Uh, you actually sometimes have to wait about 10 minutes to get down to the stop sign when it's your turn. And it's kind of neat because all of a sudden, when you're there at the stop sign, you know, the etiquette is that, you know, whoever gets there first can go next. So you're having to look at the traffic going down Park Road one way and then down Park Road the other way, and two lanes of traffic coming at you going west. And you have to figure out, okay, who was here first, you know, and let them go and uh, watch out for pedestrians. And uh, also sometimes, you know, somebody gets there at exactly the same time you do. So, you know, you have to kind of be clear, and I usually wave them on first. But I always thought it was kind of like a mini example of, of humanity. Everybody, and I've been through this intersection thousands of times, everybody kind of gives each other a lot of civility and respect and nobody rushes through, even though they've been waiting to get down there for quite a while. And I thought, you know, this is a great example of humanity and what it is to be human. People you know, uh, being patient and, and being courteous to each other and, you know, like all day, being mindful, I guess, is, you know, what I thought. But, you know, I'm a little bit wrong about that because <laughs> uh, a machine could easily do the same thing. You know, a self-driving car could go through there and would, uh, it, it would be, you know, do it just as well. And uh, so my example of what it is to be human is probably a bit flawed uh, with that. They could probably even do it better. And uh, in fact, recently they got rid of the stop signs, you know, after years and years and years of all these delays, and they put a uh, stop light. And now the traffic just zooms through because there's no need to be civil because the light changes and it's your turn, you just zoom through, and there's never any waiting. And, you know, so again, um, artificial intelligence has, you know, <laughs> What it does mean to be human, um, kind of in that same area, I remember going many years ago, I was in my 20s and I, I was living in Cabbage Town and uh, we lived across from a, well it was still around, an organization called Christian Resource Center and uh, you know they had a place on, on Carlton Street uh, at the time and they had a, a young minister, Reverend Barry Morris and one day he wanted us all to follow him and uh, at that time, actually, the Toronto Zoo was, at, you know, at uh, basically Riverdale Park, you know, Sackville and, and uh, Sumac or whatever. And that was the zoo. But anyway, we followed him down the hill, 
and he, we didn't really know what he was up to. And he wanted us to go across the pedestrian bridge, which unites um, Riverdale Park with the, I guess, other Riverdale Park. And I don't know if you know the area, but you know, you have Girard Street and just north, there's a very long pedestrian bridge. And so we kind of all walked following him, and then he stopped in the middle of it. And he said, you know, you're surrounded by death. <laughs> you know, uh, you have death by, by water. I mean, standing over the Don River. Death by highway. Death by train, because the tracks are underneath. Death by plane. Death by the Don Jail was over there. You know, and you could see actually where people used to be hung pretty much from there. You had the um, uh, uh, Bridgepoint Hospital, the old Bridgepoint Hospital there, which was, you know, a lot of people, they're spending their last days there. And yes, you were surrounded by death. And I mean, I'm sure that's not the happiest thing to bring up, but I mean, it's reality. And, it, and the speed of the cars and trucks and, you know, all these other things going by, you just sort of felt, yeah, that's, you know, things are pretty impermanent. And uh, that's what I feel is kind of being human, being, uh, or at least a, a sentient being, that, that kind of awareness of, of death. Uh, Yuval Harari, who's written a number of books, uh, Sapiens and uh, Homo Deus, and, uh, what have you, uh, he said, you know, people quite often uh, uh, conflict consciousness with intelligence. Well, actually, they're they're totally separate. You know, you can be highly intelligent, like artificial machine, and, uh, and have no real consciousness. But that awareness of, of death or mortality is, you know, what it is to be a, a, a living, sentient being. Some people have said, well, human beings are the only uh, beings that really have a, this, this awareness of, of death. But um, if you've ever had animals, you know that's not true, basically. Um, this is a picture of my, my dog, you know, Buster. And he was, actually, this is the day we, we had to have him taken to the, to the vet to put him down. He had cancer for about nine months. He was clearly aware of what was happening. I've always thought, this is how I would like to face death. You know, my eyes wide open. You kind of stand off the, the Persian carpet of life, and you know, and, you, know you, 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 you just go there. And, you know, like that. Uh, anyway, I'm bringing all this stuff up um, because, anyway, I, I, we were talking yesterday. We had a Sangha work practice, and, uh, you know, part of it is, you know, like, and we also had a Dharma student meeting on, on uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, what good is like meditation or practice or things like that when the rubber really meets the road? You know, like we're sitting here and whatever, you know, in, in these costumes. <laughs> you know? And, you know, like some people have said, you know, like uh, religion is just a costume party, basically. But, you know, it does, you know, your meditation has a huge amount of of value actually when 
you know, the rubber meets the road. Uh, when you, you're, you're faced with the uh, fragility of life, uh, basically two big things in Buddhism is our, our love and compassion. Uh, love tends to have kind of a, a future orientation in Buddhism. Um, for example, maybe I could have you read uh, maybe eight or nine lines of the Metta Sutta, which is the document, the sutta uh, regarding, and all loving kindness meditation is, is built on this. Metta Sutta, meditation on loving kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let him be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. So the, the Metta Sutta is what almost all loving-kindness meditations are, are built on, uh, radiating kindness and love first to yourself and then to quite, uh, quite often uh, your, your close family, your loved one, and then gradually radiating out toward more neutral people and then finally even enemies and finally to the entire world. The other part of it, though, you know, uh, is compassion, basically. And I kind of feel like compassion is dealing with what is right now. Uh, kind of, as some people have said, having a, a, a soft heart and a strong back. And, you know, compassion is um, dealing with suffering and taking on suffering uh, that's in the present moment. Where, where love tends to be wishing for everybody in, in, to have the best possible life and spiritual growth. Compassion is you're just dealing with what, uh, what is. And when we do, for example, here as we did the um, three refuges, 
and we did um, um, kind of the refuges in Korean as well, we're dealing with intention, you know, what, this is what we would like to go for a refuge, or we do the four great vows, um, and we're, we're wishing to save all beings, you know, we're, we're, we're taking on this fantastic uh, uh, challenge, and, and impossible challenge. So, kind of intention um, is important, attention, which is really what a lot of meditation is about, is important. Where it's hit the road for me, basically, is, um, you know, kind of dealing with, um, uh, you know, my wife's situation. She has very severe uh, COPD. And uh, this literally keeps her alive, you know, uh, which is just a tube uh, and it's oxygen. And uh, pretty much since the time we've moved in here, which was eight years ago, you know, she's had to be on oxygen 24-7. And it's a great example of practicing um, attention <laughs> and mindfulness, because anything can happen throughout the day, you know. Um, and uh, or more, um, more probably at night. And, you know, you just have to be there all the time. And uh, you have no choice, basically. But I found that, you know, the practice of meditation uh, has been very helpful. It relaxes you, it relaxes her, and you're just aware of uh, whatever may come up. And uh, no judgment, whatever. And, um, you know, and, and what you don't want is to... Uh, have yourself basically kind of uh, in increase any kind of anxiety or tension in the place. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've dealt a lot with doctors and what have you. Um, again, going back to Yuval Harari, uh, he feels that, you know, what doctors do could probably be supplanted to some, to some um, point by computers. You know, I mean, nowadays it tends to be a lot of data, you know, analysis mm -hmm. and what have you. Uh, not nurses, but I mean, what a doctor, at least the doctors we've had, they, they look at the vitals, they look at, you know, tests and, uh, you know, kind of prescribe this, that, the other thing. My wife has to be on a machine at night uh, called a BiPAP, which is like a CPAP machine, uh, but it's a little bit different. Uh, and, you know, so it's a, a lot of mathematics, it seems, you know, like pressure is this and has to be on for so many hours and so many milligrams of that. And, you know, I, uh, years ago, well, actually the same year we moved in here as well, which was the end of 2010, do you remember? In 2010 or 11. Yeah. Um, I was taking a course just down the road, 1352 uh, Bathurst, on... Uh, um, energy healing and uh, you know that's one thing I, I only took a year of it but what I found with my wife anyway is um, you know just holding her hand you know mm -hmm. is really more than anything else that you can give somebody you know that kind of uh, you know human contact and that's you know, it, it, if anything, it kind of takes away a lot of the, the fear sometimes of, of being by herself uh, and this very grim prognosis. 
um, that human contact, that, that um, uh, you know, is, is so simple. And uh, she's, you know, been to the hospital a number of times. But, you know, she doesn't really get that that much uh, there. Um, and really, she's much happier at home where, you know, you just be with her. And anyway, kind of uh, to wind this up, I think the, for me, the value of, of being here and uh, the practice has been to accept things the way they are and, uh, you know, to um, develop that, that kind of deep kind of compassion, uh, taking on, wishing if I could, taking on some of, of the pain and, um, you know, but, but um, being happy basically just in the moment, as uh, Samu Sunim has said, you know, it, it really boils down to just now, just here, just this, you know. And, you know, when you're dealing with things the way they are, um, you know, that's so important. 